Hello, ladies and gents, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Rafael Ruiz on the line, and this is going to be a pretty long intro, so just make yourself comfortable real quick. Let me, let me throw out a couple of disclaimers. I am not an expert in COVID, not even by one iota. There's so much I do not know about the coronavirus. However, I do feel compelled to have Rafael on because he brings an interesting perspective to the table. He is a contact tracer. He was kind of forced into that profession because his job was uh, discontinued because of COVID, and that was pretty much his only outlet. And he jumped into it wholeheartedly, wittingly, learned a bunch, and has applied that knowledge to what he does in the profession of contact tracing. And I feel like he has a very unique stance on everything going on because he is the caretaker of his elderly parents and he, he just brings a very interesting perspective because me as an athlete, you know, I'm in the ketogenic space. I feel invincible and I'm not invincible. No one's invincible. I think improving your health, improving your, your, your metabolism, your hormones, your, your immune system, all of those are very, very much so should be the highest priority. When it comes to the virus, though, there's no telling how much we do not know. And I feel like anyone would benefit from hearing different perspectives, different professions, and different experts in their field. He is and has been doing contact tracing now since the virus broke out, and he, he speaks with people that have been infected or been uh, in the vicinity of people who have been infected, you know, hundreds of clients throughout the day. So I feel like he brings interesting perspective to the table in that regard. Also... He is just a genuinely passionate guy about this topic, probably because he lives with his elderly parents as the caretaker for them. He's interested in, in improving and preserving their health and well-being. So regardless of where you stand on the virus, regardless of where you stand on politics, I mean, we tried really hard to not bring politics into the discussion at all. I, I'm not trying to make a political stand with any of these podcasts, but I do feel compelled to have a different perspective on the show and I hope that any of y'all will appreciate that simple fact. And I truly believe and have said on numerous occasions that you can learn something from every single person in this world. So whether you agree with him or not, whether you agree with me or not, simply listening to what he has to say and going from there with, with your knowledge and interpretation of what he has to say, more power to you. But I think this was a worthwhile conversation. I have no doubt that this was a worthwhile conversation. And I know that it was it was presented with nothing but the best intentions for unifying the human race. And that is always an admirable goal that we all should strive for. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Raphael. And Raphael, we're live. How are you, man? I'm doing great, Robert. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully, wonderfully well. So I, I'm going to let you introduce yourself here, but I want to give a little bit of context to anybody listening here. You have been buying keto bricks for no, tell, no telling how long, and you've always been very, very just appreciative, and you send us these really well-crafted emails, and they're just really well-formulated. Your vocabulary is through the roof. I mean, everything's just immaculate. And you sent me an email, and... I'm like, man, this guy can write. So I'm like, shoot, if you can write this well, you could probably speak pretty well. Let me just get you on the podcast. We'll just see what happens. 
And we, we kind of had a dialogue going back and forth with the email train. We talked about ketogenic dieting. We talked about your story a little bit. And then we started getting into all kinds of COVID-related stuff. And we're going to touch on all that in the podcast. But I kind of want to just let you introduce yourself. But I want to preface that introduction with saying I genuinely appreciate how supportive you've been to me, Crystal, the company, the bricks, everything we stand for. And I'm just happy to have you on the show. Oh, well, uh, Robert, it's an honor to be on your show and everything that I've said and stated in the past about you and your company is, is sincere and from the heart. Um, just as a general introduction, uh, I am currently redeployed with the City of Milwaukee Health Department as a contact tracer, and I'm doing that remotely from my home. Um, actually, my real line of work is that of a librarian with the City of Milwaukee, uh, with a public library with the City of Milwaukee. Um, so I've been doing this, uh, redeployment, if you will, since the middle of May of this year and throughout. Um, and I'm also a caregiver of my parents, both in their mid eighties. So I'm kind of juggling between the contact tracing and doing that as my primary job and also looking out for them as well, um, in the interim. Mm -hmm. And you've been doing the ketogenic diet for quite a few years now yourself as well so you, you've kind of yeah you, you're bringing several different things to the table here a lot of a lot of uh history and experimentation with regard to keto and, you, and you've talked a little bit about uh you know some questions that you've had about keto we can kind of dive into that troubleshoot on air here if you want um but you also Absolutely. have talked about uh we'll, we'll just there's a lot of things to talk about so i made a, an ama video series on youtube um and i've responded mm -hmm. to somebody who asked a question about losing more than 50 pounds and I talked about it in the context of, uh, you know, motivation and inspiration versus discipline and that motivation is finite. You need to really rely on discipline. And you had mentioned prior to us recording that you wanted to kind of touch on that further. So I'd love to just give you the reins and let you go on that topic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in just my own real life experience, um, I had a situation where a few years back I uh, had put on a significant amount of weight. And I was starting to feel the, uh, depressed and, and down. And so at this point I was unemployed, I wasn't working and it just seems like with each passing day, I was just getting into a further and further, uh, depression. So as luck would have it, there was a, I don't know if you're familiar with snap fitness. Mm -hmm. There was a snap fitness that opened about literally two blocks from my home, from our house. And my mom just asked me uh, one day, she said, look, you got to do something. You got to snap out of this because otherwise you're just going to sink into a further and deeper depression, depressive state. And of course, along with that, I was um, using food as a coping me mechanism to handle this, this uh, sense of depression and starting to put on even more and more weight. And I was already obese at the time. So my mom said to me, she said, look, I'm going to make you a deal here. I will go ahead and pay for your first month's of uh, gym membership, okay, just to get you out of the house, just to get you started. And I said, well, what the heck? I mean, what else? Do, you know, I have nothing to lose. I mean, why not? So the first week or so, I would probably show up maybe around 10, 10, 30. So I was sleeping in. I was just sleeping in, going to bed at night whenever I chose. Because, again, I'm not working. I'm unemployed. I'm like, you know, I'm not disciplined. I'm just doing whatever the heck I want. So after the first week, um, I said to myself, okay, I, I got to try, I got to try to discipline myself better. I got to try harder. 
So eventually, I would start getting up at 5.30 in the morning and go to the gym at that time because it's 24 hours. I don't know if you're familiar again, but it's one of those where you get like a magnetic key card and you can pretty much enter whenever you like. Mm -hmm. So I was getting up and either getting up or getting to the gym at 5.30 in the morning. And that's where the discipline comes in. And part of it, I have to admit, was just how I looked physically. I was just, of course, being overweight, a little embarrassed just to show myself in public, let alone a gym. But getting there to the gym at that time, it was maybe one or two people there, okay, if any. So you have that bit of serenity, that focus. But the point that I'm trying to make is, is that that discipline of getting up at 530 when pretty much I could have gone to the gym at any time, right, in any period of the day or not at all, I could have continued to sleep in. I could have gone there at 10, 1030, noon, whenever. But I felt getting up at 530 and having that as a regimented routine is what gave me the discipline and in turn the motivation to keep going. So the pounds were coming off. And honestly, Robert, the only thing that I was doing at the gym was using the elliptical, just the elliptical machine, no free weights, nothing else. Okay. And when I first started and I got on the elliptical, I could barely do 30 seconds. I actually thought there was something wrong with the machine. And I had to ask one of the staff there. I'm like, I think this machine might be busted or broken because I'm pedaling and there's, it doesn't seem the pedals don't seem to be moving. What's going on? So eventually I figured out it was me, right? That it, Okay. No, it's not the machine. It's you buddy. Okay. And I'm seeing these, you know, uh, petite fit ladies just gliding on there like jackrabbits, just like ninjas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wondering, Hey, it can't be that difficult. I mean, if they can do it, I, I can jump on and do this. So I made it my mission and my goal that every single day, when I would get to the gym, I would make sure that at the end of my workout, I'd get on that elliptical machine and I would go as long as I could. And I said, if I can only do a minute today, then a minute it is. And tomorrow I'm going to challenge myself and I'm going to try to do a minute and a half or two minutes. Long story short, I got um, so adapted to it that within nine months, just with the elliptical, going to the gym literally almost every day or, or six days a week, I lost 90 pounds. Okay. And I was able to be on an elliptical for an hour and a half, two hours. It got to the point where I would just get off the doggone thing because I just got bored. You know, it was one of those nice fancy ellipticals that has the built in TV screen. So that Mm -hmm. was nice because you just plug in your headphones and I'm listening to ESPN or the news or whatever. But I just would just get lost to myself on on the elliptical and my cardiovascular. you know, I, it was through the roof, right? I mean, I never felt better. But that just shows you that when you give yourself a marker, right? So again, my motivation, I didn't have anybody else, Robert. I, I didn't have family or, or friends outside of my mom offering to pay for that, give me that free month uh, membership as far as support. I, I just had to just dive in, do it on my own. But to me, the, the key component was 530 was making sure that I was regimented. And that, and like I said, gave me the discipline that I needed. And it helped in all factors of my life. It helped me get my life back together, my weight back into uh, more manageable and in control, um, to get um, reinstated with my job. So it just, you see how it in a circular way, it all ties together, but it really all starts from one point. And that is, not just the self-motivation factor, but the self-discipline and saying, I can't wait for someone else 
to jump in and do this for me. I got to do it myself. Yeah, that's so incredibly true, man. And I think, you know, as for you, the, the 530 marker was key because that was outside your comfort zone. And, you know, everybody's got a different perspective as to what their comfort zone is. But going beyond that and, and finding something that you know is pushing you and, and more than just a little bit, but pushing you pretty significantly. I feel like that wow factor comes into play with whatever it is and whoever you are. And it it gets you excited about this what if, this what if possibility. What if I can do this consistently and get better and better and better? And when you have that wow factor, like if it's just this, you know, minuscule incremental improvement, it's like, it's it's not if you know you're not pushing yourself enough it's hard to get excited about that that incremental improvement but if you know you're pushing yourself way beyond your comfort zone it it gets you excited about the possibilities and the unknown that lies ahead and i feel like whether that's waking up you know much much earlier than you normally do or getting into something that you've never done before getting outside your comfort zone on a massive level in my opinion is just so much more effective than trying to do something that's still somewhat comfortable. You can make incremental improvements once you get outside your comfort level massively, but I think that first shift to do something massively uncomfortable is so incredibly important. And I couldn't agree more. And I think for me, my mental fuel, if you will, my, my drive, what stoked me is I felt, hey, I'm getting up at 5.30 in the morning. Again, I don't need to do so. And I figure hey, I'm busting it out, right? I'm cranking it out at the gym while other people are still sleeping, while other people pretty much haven't even gotten up. And that was kind of like my feel, that while other people are resting, sleeping, or even just getting up and making a pot of coffee, I'm already cranking it out here, you know? I'm, I'm putting in the work, I'm putting in the time. And again, that's just what kept me, it helped me personally to stay super, super motivated throughout and kept me going. It wasn't necessarily just the results that you know i was seeing in the mirror i mean of course that was great because that gives you that positive feedback loop right mm -hmm. that you know you're doing something right and correct but it was just like hey i know that i'm getting up and when i'm heading to the gym and it's dark outside the sun hasn't even come out and again while other people are doing their thing sleeping whatever i'm, I'm here busting my ass so yeah uh, again i hope i hope I, I hope eventually that maybe that that uh listener uh, or the, the person that submitted the the um, original question i hope eventually they'll hear um this podcast because I, I wanted to say it personally in reference to them and uh when you mentioned again in regards to the motivation and discipline and i think mine is just a prime example of how it can and is achievable it's just the whole thing about just the mindset yeah it's 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 truly all mindset man it all stems back to mindset with whatever the industry, with whatever the goal, with whatever the, the circumstances. Um, so I, I'm going to dive into something here with you. And before we do, absolutely, I want to, to throw out, I think you're probably going to want to throw out a disclaimer as well. Uh, but I want to throw out a disclaimer <laughs> to begin here. And that disclaimer is simply this. I am not an expert when it comes to anything COVID-related, not even in the slightest degree. I am not qualified to make a educated statement about the virus. However, I will say this. I feel like one of the things that I bring to the table from a podcaster standpoint, from the host of this podcast, is to be able to bring people in with different perspectives, different backgrounds, different expertise, and let them speak on that. And then I can just be like a, like a moderator, so to speak, or just offer that platform so that the listener can take what is said 
and then base their own opinion off of that uh, in whatever way they they see fit. Um, I'm excited to bring you on today because there's just this overwhelming mass of you know discontentment, ignorance, lack of knowledge, excess of knowledge. There's just everything across the board when it comes to the virus. It's hard to know how it intertwines with the politics. It's hard to know how it intertwines with the socioeconomical you know, factors. There's just a lot of unknowns. But you are bringing a very interesting perspective in in that you are a contact tracer and you're getting all of the most up-to-date and current information from the health experts that be. So you have the unique opportunity to just share that information and provide what you've learned in doing that. And I'm all ears. Well, I think we need to, and I discussed this with you before, Robert, this can be a highly opinionated, subjective, delicate topic. It can even get uh, political in nature. And I think we need to establish, I always like to establish a common ground. So something in that, even if you're having a debate, we can all come to a general consensus and agreement on. And I think the general consensus and agreement would be that face masks save lives. And they save lives in the sense of significantly reducing the risk of transmission and of um, infection of the, the, of the uh, virus itself. I think we can all agree on that versus not wearing anything at all, right? Not wearing a mask, just doing your own thing. Um, much like, and I referenced this as an example to you the other day, when you get in your car, would you get in your car without wearing a seatbelt? And I think most people would say, well, I wear my seatbelt. And then my question would be, well, why do you wear a seatbelt? And, and the answer would be, well, it's for my own personal safety and protection in case I was to incur and be in a severe accident, right? Or any type of accident. So I think that the common ground is face masks save lives and there's a benefit to them. Okay. Now, here's where I'm going to get opinionated in the sense that there's a lot of misinformation as far as, um, not so much whether the benefits of wearing the face masks, but rather why should I feel compelled or I feel that there's too much either government interference or that we feel that we're compelled and made to wear face masks, right? So it's kind of like you have the right whether you choose to wear a face mask or not, correct? I think you would agree with me on that. That's everyone's an individual personal right. Yes. I feel, though, that this is of my opinion, so I want to separate myself from the health department, from the CDC, that it is of my opinion that when people choose not to wear a face mask, that that is an incredibly selfish act. Not a political statement, but just incredibly selfish act, and that's for this very reason. Because you're putting your personal freedoms, your rights, okay, above and before that of everyone else, family, friends, neighbors, and the like, okay? And, it, and if you think about it, it's about your rights, your freedoms, and, and simply put, nobody's going to dictate to me that I need to wear a mask or how to live my life. But if you think about it, what have I been saying for these last two or three sentences? It's all about me, 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 right? How it affects the individual, just myself. Putting it into context, I reside again with my parents who are both in their mid-80s, and as you, I'm sure, are aware, they're in an extremely considered at a very high-risk group right? Um, mm -hmm. When it comes to COVID. So now I have to ask myself, if I were to leave my home and do groceries and errands and the like, am I going to go ahead and choose to wear a face mask or not? And if I choose not to, 
then I think we can agree that there's a consensus that I'm at a greater risk of um, becoming infected by the virus itself. I think we can agree on that, right? So I come back home, I've increased my risk of infection, and now what about the greater risk of transmission to my parents? So now it's not just about me anymore, it's that I've not only increased the risk myself of receiving this virus, but I've greatly increased the risk of transmitting that same very virus to my parents. Now, if I were to get infected, maybe my immune system is able to cope with it and handle it much differently than my parents would. But if somebody's in their mid-80s and they have underlying health issues to begin with, I think you can already see where this is going, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the gist of it is sometimes when it comes just to face masks themselves, and, I, and I'm sorry if I'm just covering this topic just independently, I think we have to look at it from a broader picture. And I think this is where you and I can reach, again, some consensus, that we have to look at it beyond ourselves, right? Beyond the scope of just me as an individual whether I choose to wear a mask or protection or not. Because again, going back to the seatbelt example, would you feel comfortable being in a vehicle not wearing your seatbelt? Or if you're riding along with Crystal and Crystal's like, nah, I don't feel like we're putting on a seatbelt today. I'm sure you would disagree and you would have a bit of a dispute with that, wouldn't you, right? Because you're like, hey, you're my wife. I want you to be as safe as possible. We we need to wear seatbelts. Yeah, I definitely wear a seatbelt. She does too. Right? Right. So I, I think we need to look at it in that context. And and what I, I guess the point and, and that I'm really trying to make here is that um, one's own personal freedoms, when you choose to exercise your personal freedom, it does not absolve you from being re- a responsible adult and being accountable for your actions. Okay. Um, I fully respect those individuals who are like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to wear a face mask. I'm just not going to do it. I disagree with their stance. I don't respect their opinion any less. But I, my opinion on the subject, again, is, again, I think you're just looking at it so from a self-centered point of view, and you're just not taking into consider consideration everyone else around you, okay? Um, so that's pretty much my standpoint when it comes to just – you know, the mask wearing itself. Um, can I, can I, as uh, far some, as, some go ahead. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I've heard, and again, I'm not an expert and I, I just want to keep <laughs> relaying that message. I don't know what the most current sure. science shows. I've, I've seen, I've heard people talk of some studies. Again, that sounds so incredibly ignorant because it is, uh, that right. there have been studies that indicate that masks can actually be, uh, you know, contributing to more infection than not. I don't know if there's any weight in that. Maybe you can clarify. Um, I've seen also studies on the opposite of the spectrum that show masks 100%, no questions asked, decrease chance of infection. Um, and I think I think a lot of people, from just like an outside perspective looking in, I feel like so many people, like the, the masses, feel very misled by the media, obviously, and, and politics and... Yes. And science is kind of bled into yes. that because of the powers that be. So I don't know if people can 100% say with certainty that masks do or do not. At least some people don't have that certainty, you know, in in their foundational knowledge of what's going on. So could you speak to that at all? Well, okay, you know, if people are going to look at this uh, from a subject subjective viewpoint. Um, 
mask wearing certainly is going to definitely, there's no doubt, uh, reduce the risk of transmission of the virus, okay? Um, and if we see and understand how the virus is spread, it's spread through particulate uh, droplets, right, through the air. So if you just think about it in simple terms, if you're wearing a covering around your nasal passage and your mouth, that is going to give you an extra layer of protection, even if it was just a paper napkin, okay? I'm not saying that you still wouldn't get exposed or, or, or re- uh, get transmission of the virus, but that's better than wearing nothing at all. Um, to the point of can mask wearing contribute to uh, further incidents of exposure of uh, the virus, contraction of the virus itself, I would answer that in terms of how are you wearing your mask and in, in what context, meaning I see a lot of people who, for example, Robert, they have their mask in their vehicle and they have it um, attached or just hanging off their rear view mirror. Right. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much are like, I'm only going to put it on when I go into the grocery store or the restaurant. Then I'm going to get back in my vehicle, take it off. That's perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with that. OK. Are you frequently washing that face mask? If not, just natural bacteria is going to build up on that face mask, regardless of what material it's made out of, whether it's cloth or some other sort of fabric. OK. The other thing you have to ask yourself is with the face masks. Is it so much the face mask itself? Are you are you being hygienic? Are you washing your hands frequently? Or if you're out on a go and you don't have access direct access to soap and water, do you have hand sanitizer with you? Do you have disinfectant wipes in your glove box, in your person, in your pocket? It's it's very easy to just take the mask off and just throw it anywhere or lay it down anywhere. Well, you have to take into account that surface, right? Because depending on the surface itself, the virus can remain on certain surfaces for up between anywhere from 72 to sometimes 96 hours. Okay, so there's a lot of factors involved, but I don't want people to use that, I guess, as as an excuse, if you will, not to wear one. Now, with that being said, I think the argument that some anti-mask wearers or the anti-mask community make is they think that those of us who are proponents of mask wearing, that we're like the mask police, Mm -hmm. meaning that we expect you to wear a mask. Robert, like, for example, Robert, you should wear a mask when you're in your vehicle, even if you're alone, when you're outside your vehicle, when you're mowing the lawn, when you're going to sleep, when you're taking a shower, when you're having sex. No. (laughs) Yeah, I won't be doing that. (laughs) We're not saying that. We're not saying that. We're not. No, that's ridiculous. So, for example, if you're in your car and you go down to your local Starbucks, which I, sh- I assume you routinely do to get your double shot espresso. <laughs> do you need to put a mask on as you're making the drive down there alone in your vehicle? Or even if you were with a crystal? No. Now, I would give some consideration to perhaps putting the mask on briefly while you're receiving your, your beverage through the drive through window. Even though that server is going to have a mask on, I would still, if it were me, I would put my mask on for that 30 seconds while you're being handed that beverage, certainly. But then you drive off and do your own thing. No, you don't need to keep wearing a mask. Now, example, uh, or uh, if we look at example B, you're in the car with Crystal. You both share the same residence and live together. You're not wearing a mask at home. So why should you have to wear a mask together when you're in your vehicle, right? Just in your vehicle. Now you go up and pick up a family friend or neighbor now, yeah, maybe you should consider wearing a mask inside the vehicle because can you say for certain what social contact that your friend or neighbor has had? 
You don't know, right? And if you're in a vehicle, more than likely, you're not going to be able to observe a minimum of a six-foot distance, are you? Right? You're mm-hmm. going to be much in that close, confined contact. So I think a lot of it is just common sense, Robert. And I think people, it's almost like people look at masks like like guns, I think, in a way, right? Like the Second Amendment. It's like either guns are good or they're bad. Like there's no middle ground, right? It's not about, well, I have a gun, I have a light, it's licensed, I have it locked up under lock and key, I never leave it loaded, um, and I'm very responsible and diligent with my weapons and how I use them and all of that, right? Okay? Nobody would have an issue with that, right? You're just being a responsible gun owner. So what I'm saying is why can't people just be responsible mask wearers? Yeah. Right. And instead of thinking, instead of viewing masks in the context of it's like an all or nothing. Right. It's like, well, here are the CDC and Dr. Fauci and everybody, you know, all of the, the leading epidemiologists are saying we should wear a mask. We should wear a mask. We should wear a mask. But at no point in time are they saying that you should be wearing one 24 seven. OK, it's just when you're going to be under that risk or or potential of exposure to other people around you. That's not considered immediate family, like in your same household, if you will. Okay, and as long as none none of your family members have been exposed, certainly that's another um, thing to keep in mind. So I hope that that kind of I don't know if that's ever going to settle a de- debate or the or the anti mask wearers if that's going to be what they want to hear, but I think it's just to me the bottom line is common sense, right? Um, another example would be condoms, right? If you're if you know you're going to potentially have a sexual encounter coming up, are you going to choose to be responsible to yourself and to, and to the other individual and protect yourself and say, well, I'm going to go ahead and wear this condom because I know it gives me that added sense of protection from STDs and from the other individual potentially, you know, impregnating the other individual. Well, people will be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And then these are the same people, Robert, that perhaps will decide and say, well, I'm not going to wear a mask or I'm not going to put on a seatbelt. And to me, that just baffles me because on one end, you're looking out for your personal safety and well-being when it comes to this particular area, but not in another. It's so, been a, it's been a very I can't, weird. I, 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 I can't, oh, sorry, I didn't mean right? to cut you I off there. I can't help but think. No, no, I can't help but think that that's somewhat hypocritical in nature, right? Because now we're making a distinction between this is what I consider to be a personal safety thing and, and for my preventativeness and well-being. But on the other hand, when it comes to masks, nah, I think I'll just wing it and do my own thing. Yeah, it's been it's been very interesting because I feel like there's there's definitely a lack of common sense. There's a lack of good information. And when when those two factors are at play, it just opens the doors, opens the floodgates for hypocrisy to to run rampant. I saw a guy the other day driving a, a crotch rocket motorcycle popping wheels on the street and he didn't have a helmet on but he was wearing his mask and that to me just kind of cracked me up well yeah because if, if you think about it that's all well and goodies the, the individual's wearing a mask but what about prevention of head trauma brain trauma due to an accident mm-hmm. i mean obviously we can all agree those of us that have a motorcycle or not that wearing a helmet is significantly going to reduce the the rate right or uh, the percentage of head trauma or brain injury versus not wearing a helmet altogether. So I, I just think that we have a moral, ethical, social obligation 
besides a bigger picture, right? And, and that's the main thing I'm trying to drive at, that it's not just about my individual personal freedom. I feel I have a responsibility, not just to myself. And in my case, I have a responsibility to my parents, right, as their caregiver. Because if I'm not around, how are they going to get their medications? How are they going to get their food, right? How are they going to get their banking and finances straightened out, right? So I have a responsibility to them. So I can't just look at it, at things myself internally and saying, I'm just going to do what I think is right and best for me and what I want to do, right? I, I think, I mean, honestly, I think that's one of the, the main reasons that I wanted to get you on and get your opinion because for me, like I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I've got a great immune system. I've been sick twice my entire life. Like I'm not personally worried about getting the virus for me personally. And if I, if I did get the virus, I feel like I would be able to knock it. No problem. But I try to be a socially responsible adult. Um, However, it's not constantly on my, you know, in my thought process of like, I've got this massive risk. I've got this, this big uncertainty just glooming over me. Whereas for you, with your parents, you know, living there with you, you being their caregiver, them being, you know, fitting all the criteria for someone that's going to be highly at risk. It just like you bring a very interesting, you know, perspective to the table because you're taking this incredibly seriously and rightly so. I mean, you don't, I mean, I would feel absolutely terrible if I was the cause of any of my parents suffering. Like I, I don't, I don't think I could live with myself. Um, so I wanted right. to bring you to, to the table here and, and discuss your expertise because you're coming at it from a very unbiased, like you, you're just bringing a very interesting point of view. And I feel like anybody, regardless of where they're at, can appreciate that point of view. Um, totally taking politics out of it, totally taking the media out of it, and just he- would benefit from hearing what you have to say and why you have to say it. Well, and, and, and I think I want to address two very important points to that. And, and this is not related just um, contextually to mask wearing, but just the virus itself. And the two key points I wanted to highlight was um, credibility and unity. Okay, and you and I, Robert, kind of touched upon the the unity aspect a little earlier that you would think having a once in a lifetime, once in a generational pandemic event like this, that you would think that it would serve to bring us together as Americans. Right. Mm -hmm. That we would all be like, you know what, we have to this is a common cause. Right. We have to fight this virus. We have to unify together. And if anything, it's done the opposite. Right. It's done completely the opposite. Of, of, of instead of unity, everybody is just kind of disenfranchised, dismembered. Everybody's kind of, you know, doing doing our own thing, for lack of a better term. Well, the question then becomes is where are we getting that message from? And not to get into too much the, the, the political waves here, but when we're disseminated, pretty much the, the guideline or the philosophy of you know, if, for example, if you want to wear a mask, go ahead and do so if you feel it works best for you. And if you don't, that's perfectly fine. At the end of the day, the take home message is do what you want to do. Right. And as an American, you have your right and freedom to do what you want to do. Right. I'm sure you would agree with me on that. Mm-hmm. Well, let me give you an example. OK, so I mentioned to you that I've been having these digestive issues recently. Right. And I'm like, man, I don't know where this is coming from. And it's been going on for the last month. So I go ahead and I call my physician and I say, you know what, doc, I think I need to come in because this is going on far too long and I need to see what's going on. Right. 
So what does my physician do? My physician is going to refer me in turn to a gastroenterologist, right? That's a specialist, correct? Mm-hmm. And so I go and see them and I say, yeah, you know, I, I got these issues, these lingering issues. I don't know if it's low bile or um, low stomach acid. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to, you know, help me out here. G- g- tell me what to do. And then the response from the gastroenterologist is, well, you know what? We'll run some tests. They run the, they run, they run the tests and then they say to me, well, doc, what should I do? And, they, and their reply is, well, do what you feel is best. Do what you want to do. And I'm like, come again, excuse me. They're like, well, just continue, just do what you want to do. So I ask you, Robert, if that was you in this situation, would you feel comfortable with that response? Would you be okay with that response? No, that would not be an optimal response from a from an expert. Right. But here but here's a right, but here's the thing. Do we not consider that gastroenterologist to be an expert in their field? Right? Like a gastroenterologist. They have to be the expert in as far as gastroenteritis, everything related to the digestive system, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to take, we're going to listen to them and we're going to take their word, right? As far as what to do, what action to take next, right? Or prescribe me a medication, but give me something. But at the end of the day, just don't just tell me, we'll do what you want to do, right? But that's the pervasive message. And that's why we have this sort of division, right? If you will. And I look at this virus, and I thought about this long and hard, Robert, and I said, why can't we, as Americans, or as human beings, why cannot we act similar to this virus? And I mean this in this context. This virus, Robert, knows no race, no color, no creed, sex, age, religion. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't discriminate, okay? It doesn't care. All it wants to do is wreak havoc, havoc and just deal maximum damage, right? And I looked at that in an ironic view viewpoint, and I said, well, why can't we act that same way? Why can't we look at this pandemic and tackle it from a, from a perspective of not looking at it whether black or white community, male or female, young or old, whether you're uh, religious or not, why can't we just unify and say, we need to do what's best as Americans and globally as, as a human society right as a humanity from a humanitarian perspective and it's fascinating to me that we had a a, a event like 9-11 right 9-11 a historic event um it robert you could say that it was for us for you and i our generations pearl harbor right Mm -hmm. we could we could make we could say that absolutely just horrific act right more than two thousand people perished on that day all right, a similar moment in history. Now, what happened immediately after that? If you recall, we unified as Americans. There was no black or white, um, low income, high income, male, female, Jewish, Christian, atheist. We were all Americans at that time. Would you not agree? Totally. And the response from all of us like is we need to find those responsible. We need to find those bastards and we're gonna get them. We're gonna, we're gonna find them, weed them out, Whoever supported, funded these guys, trained them, we we're going to find out. And we were all unified, were we not? Right? We, we were. It, there, was no, there was no time at that point where it was like, you're, uh, you're, you're white, you're black. No, it didn't matter. We didn't make that distinction. We were all Americans, and we all just wanted to kick some ass. Okay? That's just the bottom line. Now we have this pandemic that's kicking our ass. And instead of 2,000 people, or roughly, 
that have perished. We're talking about 200,000 people. 200,000 people. And my question to you and your viewers, your listeners, is at what point in time do we look at this and say, we have to take it upon ourselves? So if it's not the president or the government or, or whatever information is being disseminated, then we have to be socially responsible, each and every one of us, to try to diminish and eventually extinguish this virus, right? It's on us, then it falls on us. If nobody else is going to do anything or look out for us, it's on us. Yeah, I think... And that to me, and that to me is a tragedy, that we have something like this, where lives are being lost on a daily basis, on a massive, massive scale. And people are still either, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to listen to this, or I'm not going to quarantine, or I am, or I'm going to partial quarantine. And it's like, no, we need to be on the same page because it affects all of us. We're all in the same giant Noah's Ark boat, if you will, uh, as an example. We're all in it and together. Yeah, I think, you know, regardless of where, where you stand on any of this stuff, I think the fact, the simple fact that what was a great opportunity to unify us has instead split us farther apart is incredibly saddening. Um, that's very unfortunate. It's, it's an opportunity that's been squandered. Um, and I feel like there's there's a lot of different factors for why that could be. I feel like, you know, from just within the keto space specifically, I feel like there's a lot of resentment towards um, medical professionals and some of it probably is just some of it probably is unjust but a lot of people in the keto space feel like the the medical information that's been put out regarding nutrition for the past 50 years has just led them astray and and, mm-hmm. and it has in a sense you know and i feel like we have banded together and, and that's that's been cool to see it's been cool to see us band together and be like you know what we're going to be more natural in our healing we're going to eat proper food and we're not going to rely heavily on uh, modern medicine, which is great. That's that's an example of us unifying and banding mm-hmm. together. However, an adverse effect to that is is we've we've shunted away from a lot of medical literature and science, maybe unnecessarily so. And I'm not sure what is true in the science right now regarding the virus. I do not know. But well, you know think- what? I, I I I no, I don't mean to 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 be rude and interrupt you, Robert. But I think that what you're trying to say is I think there's a credibility issue. Mm-hmm. And this is among the face mask wearers and not face mask wearers. Okay, and those that want to hear the guidelines, the COVID guidelines, and those who don't. And and this is what I mean. When it comes to credibility, not just people like Dr. Fauci, but the leading epidemiologist in the field, not just in this country but worldwide. So there's a general consensus, of course, in regards to face mask wearing that pretty much almost any kind, any kind of face mask wearing or preventative. Uh, preventativeness on our part is going to significantly reduce the risk of transmission of the virus. That is a overwhelming agreement and consensus, okay? But here's where the credibility comes into play. And I want to use this as an example, okay? So a friend of mine, my friend Tim, his dog is sick, hasn't been well, hasn't been eating for about the past week. So Tim gives me a call and he goes, man, yeah, I, I don't know what to do. Um, you know, Spike here, he's, he's just not been eating. I, I, I think something's just not right. It's just not normal for him not to eat. And he goes, yeah, I don't know whether to maybe just wait a few more days or take another vet. 
And so I said to him, well, you know what, what about, um, you know, I got a friend, a buddy named Robert, you know, and maybe, you know, we, you can bring the dog over and Robert can see him. And then Tim goes, well, what does, what, what does Robert have to do with this? Who, who is this Robert guy? I'm like, oh, he's, he's my dentist. And he goes, are you kidding me? Why, why would I take my dog to the dentist? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, he's a doctor, right? I mean, a veterinarian is a doctor too. And so is a dentist. And I think a dentist has access to anesthetics, right? And anesthesia. So if your dog needs to be put down, I guess he could put him down too. And then you just hear click, right? Mm-hmm. The point being is if your dog is sick, are you going to take your dog to the veterinarian? Or are you going to take them to the dentist? So when it comes to these leading epidemiologists, why would you not listen to them if they're the experts in their field? Now, you have every right maybe to, to say, you know, I don't agree with their opinion. Well, that's your right not to agree. But they're the leading experts. This is what they do. This is their job. What, what incentive? I guess I ask those who are just non-believers in it. What would be their incentive to lie? What agenda setting would they have to lie, to misinform us? I, I guess I would flip the question in that aspect. But you see what I'm saying, right? Again, you wouldn't take your dog to the dentist. You take your dog to the vet, right? Because that just makes perfect sense. And that is the specialist. That is the one that can treat your dog and give your dog the best care. But why, when it comes to this virus, we're just not listening? We're just doing our own thing again. We're just, you know, what you mentioned earlier, hey, I'm fit and, and uh, you know, I eat well and I train and, you know, I hit the gym and this virus, it, it's just going to bounce off me like it's nothing. Well, my, my question to you, Robert, and to your listeners is, can you guarantee that? Can you guarantee that to yourself? Can you guarantee that if you become exposed and infected that? hey, you're just going to get over it and or, or you're going to be asymptomatic, meaning you're not going to exhibit any symptoms whatsoever. Can you guarantee that? That would be my question. And we talked about this the other day. Whenever there's risk involved and there is risk, would you not wish to minimize the risk? If you can't eliminate it, and with this pandemic, right, with this COVID-19, we can't eliminate the risk, right? We can agree. We cannot eliminate it. But we can significantly reduce it. So why wouldn't we go ahead and reduce it and reduce the risk if we can't, if that's within our power and within our grasp. I 100% agree in that if if we know what we can do to collectively as a society to reduce the risk, that is what we should band together and be self-motivated to do for the betterment of the whole, 100%. Um, I feel like, like at one point in my life, I wanted to uh, either start a business or move off to Alaska and be a mountain man with nobody around me with nothing more than a knife and a hatchet and a gun. And <laughs> that that was literally the crossroads I was at. I opted for starting a business. Um, but I say that story to simply bring it full circle and say, whenever, I mean, if you are in a functioning society, then it is a bigger picture than just you as a single individual. If I was in Alaska, I could do whatever the hell I wanted to do. I wouldn't have to answer to anybody, and I could choose to live my life that way. And nobody could tell me differently. Whenever you become part of something bigger than you, which you are if you are a member of society, which you are if you take part in any of the things society brings to the table, then I do feel like we all have a moral obligation 
to act in the best interest of the whole. Now, it gets tricky because what one person defines as the best interest of the whole may be a very different uh, belief than what another responds to as the best interest of the whole. So that's the, the beauty of, of being a human and having an opinion. However, in, in the case of the virus, for instance, I think all the information and all the the you know focus should be on what the the most accurate and unbiased science shows at the time. I mean, and that has changed quite a bit. And I feel like people are tired of the change. People are obviously tired of the virus. I mean, it's it's negatively affected businesses, right. relationships. I mean, there's a lot of shit that's going on this year with the virus. People are just tired of it, and I totally get that. But I do think that we should look at the the unbiased science and make an informed decision based off of that. I do not think that the net outcome of a national mask mandate would be beneficial because I feel like humans are such stubborn creatures uh, that anytime we are forced against our will, it, it almost certainly backfires and results in a net negative, not a net positive. However, I would hope that we would band together and unify and do so because we want to do so if an overwhelming amount of evidence suggested that that was the best thing for the overall society. Well, I I look at things um, from a reverse perspective. So I kind of flip this around, Robert, and I look at it from the other point of view. And let's say, let's look at mask wearing again. And let's just say we took a stance of no mask wearing, right? None of us. Nobody's wearing a mask. Women, men, children, okay? Dogs, cats, whatever. Nobody's wearing a mask. Let me ask you this. The argument I'm making is, do you feel we would get over this pandemic sooner or faster if we didn't versus if we did? And I think that's one of the questions that we should all be asking ourselves, right? Especially those that have any any sort of doubt. So if somebody's saying, I'm not a mask wearer or I'm not going to wear one, and I asked that individual, well, do you feel that we're going to recover and get over this pandemic and get back to work and, you know, people getting their jobs back faster if we wear a mask and they say yes, then I guess my argument or my point would be, well, then why aren't you wearing a mask right now? Right. So I think sometimes you just have to look at it and flip the script and look at it from the bigger context of it. Right. And Robert, I know that you're a guy that values numbers and analytics, right? You're big into that. Mm-hmm. So allow me to provide you some numbers. So this, so this is some meat on the bone, okay? This is not just, again, being an opinionated, because I don't want people to look at this podcast and say, well, this is just based off one individual's sole opinion. Nor do I want to come across as being preachy, okay? Or saying, hey, everybody, you must wear your masks. In our state alone, with the state of Wisconsin, we had the third number, highest number of reported cases among the 50 states last week. Now, of course, I don't have any updates for you as far as this week at this time because we haven't completed this week, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's, it's still our, it's, it's only mid-Thursday. We are averaging, averaging around 3,000 new cases per day. And you might look at that and say, well, how significant is that? Well, that's 21,000 cases a week, right? Simple math, right? Three mm-hmm. times seven is 21. Um, then when you look at that times a month, that's 84,000 cases a month. A month. And in our state, we have reported more positive tests in six weeks since September 1st 
than we did in all of the eight months previous of this year. I want to repeat that. We've, re- we've reported more positive tests in six weeks, right, or since September 1st, than in all of the previous eight months combined. Okay. Furthering that, people look at that and say, well, state of Wisconsin, if people aren't too familiar with the state, most people know Milwaukee is a major city, right? Milwaukee, Madison, Madison is a state capital. So they might think, man, I can't imagine what the caseload must be for you. You know, you're working for the Milwaukee County, you know, health department. Interestingly enough, Robert, I got some more numbers for you. Out of those roughly 3,000 cases per day, right? Let me ask you this, just to guess, how many do you think would be coming from Milwaukee County itself? Uh, I would imagine pretty good percentage. Right? A great, right? Anybody would, right? You would think at least half, right? Would you say? So if we're talking 3,000, we're thinking, speculating 1,500, mm-hmm. right? Makes sense? 455. 455. And in, and in the city of Milwaukee itself, 200. And 75 out of close to 3,275. Okay. Further, as far as a percentage of positives, right, of positive tests, confirmed positive tests, our rate in Milwaukee is 8% currently. The rate in the state is 20%. So, when I'm giving you all of these figures, what, what is the general uh, conclusion here, right? It's not happening, Robert, in the inner cities or the major cities like people would think, right? It's not happening in Milwaukee. It's not happening in, um, I don't know, Des Moines, Iowa, okay? It's, it's happening in the rural areas. The, the, the increase in rates, the highest number and percentage out of these 3,000 cases per day are in central and the northern part of the state. These are the rural areas, Robert. Why is that? Okay. And this is and this is the areas where we can surmise. Now, and again, I, I I don't want to make too many inferences here, but in regards to our state, just speaking of the state of uh Wisconsin, Madison and Milwaukee, the two major cities, they are um usually tend to lean on the demogra- on the democratic side of things. Okay. More more Democrats than Republicans as far as voters and turnout. When you get to the mid-state and the upper northern regions, those are mainly more of the Republicans, many more so, okay, the, the vast majority. And if I'm, if, and again, I hate to get into this political context, but I think we, I can make the link that um, most, or I would think the majority of people who choose or opt not to wear masks, we can consider perhaps that they're being more on the Republican side of things. They're more on the conservative side of things because they're more on their their freedoms, right? Their Second Amendment freedoms and their freedom of like, hey, nobody and the government isn't going to tell me what to do. And I don't care what the news is telling me or Dr. Fauci is telling me. I'm going to do my own thing because I'm a red-blooded American and that's my right, okay? And I think that's partly why. I think really you have the majority of the people that are living in these rural um, areas, if you will, they tend to be hem- heavily more conservative. And and look, their 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 excuse, if you will, might be like, "Well, I'm not in an inner city environment. I'm not surrounded by hundreds and thousands of people, right? Like you would like in a city like Milwaukee, right? So that might be their rationale. 
okay, but whether you work in a farm or where you, you reside in this rural area of, let's say, a pocket of 10,000 people, 10,000 people is still 10,000 people, right? So that is just, that would be my explanation for it. I think that the majority of the people that are living in these rural, ruralized areas perhaps tend to be more on the Republican side. And not to say that all Republicans are non-face mask wearers. I'm not trying to identify and make that link or connection. But I think we could safely say and make the argument that maybe if that is your stance and you have a more conservative stance and you're more about your freedoms and your personal rights and freedoms that you might look at mask wearing as, as an optional thing, right? It's not something that, Hey, I need to do to be socially responsible. I need to be doing this versus, Hey, what about my rights and freedoms? And I think I would hope at least you would agree on that sense on that part of it. Has, has that uh, trend been, been observed in other states and cities as well if you were to break it apart based off of the more uh, conservative based off more liberal and then kind of zero in on where you're seeing most of the uh, infections take place well unfortunately i can't say as far as outside of the context context of the state so it would be unfair and unwise for me to speculate how it is for let's say illinois or uh, minnesota or michigan um i if i were to speculate I would say I wouldn't surprise me if it would be similar in that in that sense, because just in just typically when you're talking about urban areas, centralized areas, um, not just inner cities, but major cities, um, typically the demographic as far as um, when we're talking about just from a political perspective, um, usually you, you could say tends to skew more on the demographic on the Democratic side. The democratic aspect of it. And I'm just speaking in regards to our state that I think you're talking about, um, it's no surprise to me. So let me just state that. It's no surprise to me that a lot of the majority of these cases and these outbreaks, if you will, are happening in these rural areas because I believe, and this is my own personal opinion now, that I think people are just kind of, again, going back to my original point of doing what they want to do. Yeah. And I think they're just more independent in nature, right? I think you would agree with this, too. If you're living in a rural area, and again, not to stereotype and say that a rural area means that you're working on a farm, but I think you would agree that typically when people are living in more um, rural areas, they're more independent-minded. Would you agree? They're, mm-hmm. they're more independent-minded. And, and as far as the work they do, more, more often than not, it could be something that it's either agricultural, industrial, mechanical, um, some type of maybe skilled labor, okay? That's another aspect to consider. Probably not a lot of these uh, jobs are in the blue-collar sector, okay, if we're breaking it down even further. But I think I wouldn't surprise me if the majority of these people are gun owners and they're people that, um, you know, do their hunting and, you know, they're responsible gun owners as well. But they just, I think they just tend to have more of conservative nature, so if we're not even talking in the context of being of politics, just more conservative and saying, look, I'm, I'm going to they're, they're more about their own personal freedoms. And I, and I don't think that that can really be um, anybody would dispute that they're more about, hey, I chose to live out. I chose to live this independent life, much like you were giving the example of moving to Alaska. Right. It's not to say you're moving into Alaska because you're a Republican, but you're moving to Alaska because for you, you value your personal freedom. Right. And a lot of your whatever successes or failures, you're going to base off of yourself and you're going to say that I've achieved these results based on 
just myself alone and I can't hold anybody else accountable or blame anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so I, I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that's the answer in, 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 in particular. And, and I don't mean to make any type of inferences or stereotypes. It's just, it doesn't surprise me, but I think it's shocking um, that people would assume that, Hey, if you live in a centralized area, Hence, you would have, uh, you would stand to reason, you would have a higher number of cases. That would just make sense because if you're talking about a million people in a city and we're talking about a rural area, a footprint of 500 miles with, I don't know, 400,000 people, you would say, well, how would that be possible? Well, here's the thing. The people that are in the cities, they're more observant, probably more than likely to the mask wearing and the social distancing, right? They're probably adhering to that. They're more socially aware and conscious of that versus the, the people that are living in these very um, rural, isolated areas, if you will, more spread apart. And they're thinking, well, by me being spread apart, um, I don't have to worry perhaps so much about mask wearing. Yeah, I'd be super interested in getting uh, like a state-by-state state breakdown. Is that like public information or do you have to be part of the health department to have access to that? Oh, no. A lot of a lot of these, um, well, the figures I mentioned too primarily came from um, the state themselves. So it's not something that would be freely shared to the public. But we just had um, a mention in our local uh, city newspaper a couple of days ago just in, the, in regards to the increase in the number of cases and our rate um, not just within the state, but within the country. So this is information that is really, uh, for the most part, accessible to, to the majority of individuals. And I would encourage you and your listeners just to go either to the CDC website. You can always go to your local uh, municipality or your city's website, and they should have a COVID-related link or update as to number of cases in your surroundings and in your community. Um but I think that the main the main observation and the main point is regardless where you're living, whether you're in a rural area or centralized or in an urban setting, again, I go back to my point. This virus doesn't care, right? It, it, it doesn't care where you live, what you do, what your occupation is. And if, and if we're not all united and on the same page, then I can't conceivably see how we're going to get over this pandemic any any sooner or any faster at this point because we're all kind of with a different mindset a different opinion and i'm not saying that people having different opinions is right or wrong i think yeah you should be entitled to your opinion absolutely that's your right and we should respect each other's opinions but i think there's at some point and i would hope you would agree that we have to reach a consensus and an agreement and say it's not about what's doing what's best for me it's about what's doing best for this country, for everyone involved, as Americans, to be united just like we were post 9-11, to, to rally around and say, if we don't fight this together and unified, you know, it's, it's like that old saying, right? United we stand, divided we fall. But I know it's very simplistic and cliche, but that's really what it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I would hope that would be everybody's goal totally independent of the virus like just everything in general i think that's where people should be uh placing their their priorities um is there so what what is the best the best way to get up-to-date information because you have uh you know you're, you're getting all this in your career path right now as a contact tracer yeah. with uh health department city of milwaukee um where 
can just anybody go to get the best information on all of the numbers, all the data, how many people have been infected with and have turned out fine, how many people have got it and not turned out fine, just just real good solid data. Because I know, I know a lot of people have kind of turned off to the data because there was some, some misreporting in the beginning and some of it was probably oh, sure. wrongly so. Some of it was just totally by accidents that we didn't know what we were dealing with. I mean, hell, when March rolled around, this was really, you know, kind of reaching its zenith in like the, the media. It seemed like nobody mm-hmm. knew where to look for anything and everybody was scared shitless because nobody knew anything. Uh, so now, where's the best place to go to get any and all numerical information that is as unbiased as possible? Well, I, and, and again, uh, maybe this isn't the answer that you want to hear, but I would always refer in context anything related to COVID to always please start at the CDC website. So start from a broad context, right? And yeah, it's going to give you a lot of the data, the raw data, maybe in terms of national figures, right? And then you might say, well, okay, but how does how is this applicable to me or my community? And then I would simply say, like, Robert, I don't know exactly what city or municipality you reside in down there in Arkansas, but I would say choke check i'm sorry check with your um um city hall right your town hall your city hall your local health department um and just go on their website to get more information as far as data driven that is specific to your community um but i always refer people to start with the um cdc web website because that's going to have um all of the latest most accurate information that's where i start robert my day okay so before i get into my own city and state figures daily, I am checking in into the CDC website to see, hey, what's going on nationally? What are the trends? Where, where are we seeing spikes in different regions of the country? So for example, if we have a spike here in Wisconsin, you would think that there's a very real chance and possibility that we're going to see a significant spike and increase in the Midwest overall, right? Because you have people travel traveling in and out of the state. So CDC website, Absolutely, for sure. Um, and I look at it as, yeah, is the CDC's website a governmental agency or a wing? Absolutely. But my opinion on, on the subject when it comes to the CDC is what political agenda or what, what, what would they have to gain by stating or people getting the impression or interpretation that they're on more conservative and on the Republican nature or more liberal and on, let's say, uh, the democratic nature. I mean, they're they're unbiased. It's not political at all. It's just whether you choose how to interpret that information, whether you choose to accept it and receive it. Um, but for the raw numbers, it's just cdc.gov. That's the first place to start. Um, and the navigational super. I'm, I'm on the CDC website right now, Robert. And right now, if you just go right to the middle of the page, you have cases and deaths in the United States and you have a COVID tracker. It couldn't be any easier than that. And anybody can do that. Everybody, you don't have to be a contact tracer or work for a local health department to get access to that raw data and those raw fingers. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I want to I wanna have a little bit of a rant, I guess you can call it. Uh, rant's sure. pretty unprofessional word, but rant it is. Um, for me, in the ketogenic space, in the health and nutrition space, my entire mm-hmm. motivation to do what I do, publish the content that I do, create the content that I do, 
is to, you know, promote a proactive approach towards health, nutrition, vitality, and longevity. Play the long game. Do decisions now that may not be the easy decision, but will yield the best outcome. And I feel like there's a lot of people within the space that are incredibly frustrated to see people that are, you know, not eating healthy, not being physically active, squandering their health in, in all forms and fashions, and obsessing over the virus and living in fear. And I don't want anybody yeah. to live in fear. I think fear mongering from the media is absolutely just terrible. And for me, right. I, I recognize and accept the fact that, hey, look, the virus is here upon us now. You can't really expect people that have never cared about nutrition a day in their life to all of a sudden you know, flip a light switch and, and be all about it. But it is very frustrating for me to see people you know, just debilitated by this fear of this unknown mm-hmm unseen virus while also shoveling you know highly processed drive-through window foods down their throat and it's very frustrating to me to see them never get out of their chairs so they can sit and watch netflix all day long i feel like that is a very short-term you know like coping mechanism and i i would wish and would hope that this virus for whatever you know degree is possible would unify people, would make people want to work together more for the betterment of the whole, and would motivate them to take their health into their own hands, not rely on outside, uh, you know, places to to make them healthier. You can do that with your own tools, your own resources, on your own time, on your own dime. And I, it's frustrating for me to see that not become more apparent, so I would just encourage anybody listening to this to be more proactive with their health, that way, not to say that if you're incredibly healthy, natural bodybuilder status, whatever, the virus wouldn't affect you. But anything that you can do to prevent any of this from happening, at least to some degree, is going to be worth your while. And it's going to make your life better anyways. So I would hope that if anything, people are just more motivated to be healthier from a from a natural longevity, long game approach standpoint after this has all happened. Well, and, and I, you know, I, I, I just echoed a sentiment. I, I couldn't honestly have said it any better that um, I'll just go back to what I said earlier in this conversation. We have to weigh or balance, right, our personal freedoms and rights with social responsibility and accountability and doing the moral and ethical right thing, right? Um, and as far as this living in fear, what is to be gained by that? Robert, when I talk to clients who have been not only exposed, but tested positive, or let's say, I'll give you an example, somebody that's in the midst, they just took a test. And I talked to I had a client the other day, and dear old lady, right, like everyone's grandma, she's in her 70s, and she's all getting excitable and agitated. And I said, ma'am, you haven't even gotten your result back. And you're already getting wound up about this. I said, what, what is getting wound up and worried about your impending test result? How is that going to make things any better? And if anything, if you have been infected, it's only going to put an additional additional stress and tax and tax on your body, right? It's going to be taxing your body even more while your immune system is trying to put out this wildfire, like this California-like wildfire inside your body. And now you're just throwing gasoline on it. So I just tell people, look, even if you test positive, I'm your, I'm your 
contact tracer assigned to your case. You're not alone. I'm with you every step of the way. And if we need to talk and speak every single day and to get you through it and to get, you know, your, your confidence up, um, absolutely, that's what we do. It's, this is not a, it's, it's not to be seen as a death sentence. It's not to be looked at as like, oh, my gosh, I got to lock myself. You know, Robert and Crystal have to lock themselves in their own home. Not at all. But when you step outside that home, outside your home, when you take that first step, that is the first point and the first entry in which you now have to become socially responsible. And I think that should apply to everyone. Yeah. So it's not about living in fear. It's not about wearing a face mask 24-7. Nobody's saying that. Dr. Fauci's not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not advocating it. But again, having being socially responsible where you're looking at the totality and the whole and say, you know what? I love myself. I love my, you know, I, I love Crystal. I love my wife. But you know what? I love my neighbors, too. And I love their kids, my community. And I feel if we all had the same mindset, not only would be more, we would would we be more unified, but certainly, absolutely, we'd get over this pandemic and this crisis much, much faster and much, much easier than how we are dealing it with dealing it with it now. Which again, I go back to, in the, we're doing it independently. We're each doing our own thing. And we seem to be just going around like headless chickens with no direction whatsoever. Yeah. And that's never good. I like, I like, no, I, I think, I think your passion shows through in the way you speak about all of this 100%. I think, you know, because of the fact that you are your, your parents' caretaker, you've got the information at your fingertips that you're dealing with these people, you know, day in, day out as a profession that just kind of was, was forced upon you. I feel like, you are bringing a very unbiased perspective to the table and I appreciate unbiased perspectives with passion and that's I mean that that's why I was motivated to get you on the show man so I I can't thank you enough for taking the time and I hope you know people listen to this and and, and glean something valuable from it for sure um, I'm definitely going to be diving in and, and learning more and being as as informed and educated as I can on the matter and if there's ever anything I can do for you man just just let me know Oh, absolutely, Robert. I can't thank you enough for the invite. Um, I did want to stress one thing as it relates just to COVID, one last thing, not a, not in regards to face masks, but when, you know, I, I'm sure all of us have heard the term quarantine and what it is to quarantine. And I think it's very important for you and your listeners to know that um, in the event of an exposure, so let's say yourself or Crystal have an exposure incident, meaning that you have come in contact with somebody who is a confirmed case positive. They have tested positive for the virus itself. I think it's extremely important that we all adhere to the guidelines, to the, to the quarantine guidelines, which are typically 14 days. And the reason for that is because even like yourself, super fit, super healthy, the virus itself, um, you, you could become infected at any point in time within that 14-day period, meaning you could become symptomatic whether it's between day one to day 14 of your quarantine, and that's with anyone. So that is why we, we want to stress, and I, I just want to stress this to you and your listeners, not just to take this seriously, but if, we, if, if you have been re recommended to quarantine and somebody from your local health department, municipality, has made contact with you and made this recommendation. Keep in mind, these are recommendations. These are not requirements, right? Robert, we don't send police to people's homes, okay? Mm -hmm. If they're saying, I'm not gonna quarantine. It's everyone's individual right. 
But I think people, it's not about living in fear. It's not thinking that, hey, I need to lock myself in my house for 14 days. Nobody's saying that either. Unless you were to test positive yourself, then absolutely, you should isolate yourself in your home. Absolutely. But I think people should just adhere to the guidelines and say, look, 14 days, and it's going to, it's going to, go faster before you know it. It's going to be over those 14 days before you know it. And then you, you have that peace of mind. I can return to work, return, return to my normal activities. And I know that I have that peace of mind that I can't transmit this virus to someone else right now. And even though I had my exposure, I did my quarantine, and I should be safe to myself and others. And um, Robert, I just want to thank you for the time. I, did, I didn't want to forget to mention that because I just think that's extremely, extremely important. And that's whether you choose to wear a face mask or not. Well, you've, you've um, had several least, clients at least if that have done that, right? You've had yeah, several I, people that, that were showing no signs or symptoms and then on day 14 started showing signs. Yes, yes. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I had two clients last week on the same day, exact same day, asymptomatic. Asymptomatic, again, means no visible outward or inward symptoms of the virus. And we go through a, a common checklist with a client in regards to that. Um, both clients had been tested and tested negative. On day 14, which is the last day, the end date of their quarantine, it's a routine required follow-up that we have to do with the clients before we can close their case file, before we can just wrap it up. They both reported symptom onset on day 14. Is it a rare event, an occurrence? It is, it, but it can happen. It absolutely can happen. And again, I just think in the bigger context, in the bigger picture, we just have to be mindful and considerate of others and everyone else around us. It's not a case right now of trying to get over a pandemic situation, just solely looking at it independently, just based off yourself, off of what is best for me and best of, and based off what I want to do. I, I go back to saying that's an incredible, uh, narrow-minded way to look at it, an incredibly um, selfish way to, to go about it. Um, but again, that's just my own opinion. Uh, I, I hope I, I didn't try to make this into like a political uh, event <laughs> because this really isn't a, a Republican or, Demo or Democratic or independent issue, okay? This is a humanitarian issue, and we need to look at it from that lens and perspective that it's not about race, color, creed, sex, none of the above. It's just about the preservation of humanity itself, and not only the preservation, but um, furthering and strengthening humanity and evolving as a human race itself. Totally, totally agree. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because you, <laughs> you emailed me um, several weeks back and, and basically – uh, put forth a call to action, so to speak, just encouraging me mm -hmm. to, to uh, you know, use my platform to put out more information outside of just the ketogenic realm specifically. And I am not an expert in every industry by any means or <laughs> any realms by any means, but I do appreciate your desire for me to do that because I, I, I mean, I, I love life. I love my fellow human being. I mm -hmm. love learning and the podcast for me is a great way for me to bring people of different backgrounds different experiences different perspectives to the table pick their brain and and just understand what makes you think the way you think and why and i feel like anybody listening regardless of their stance on anything can benefit from that because i've always said and will always continue to say that 
you can learn something from every single person you come in contact with. And I feel like this, while very much outside of the keto space, out of my wheelhouse, is is something that applies to all of us right now. And I think everyone can benefit from hearing what you have to say. And they should have an open mind to what you have to say because you have a very interesting perspective and you are much more uh, in the day-to-day workings of what's going on with the city of uh, Milwaukee Health Department. I mean, you're getting this stuff. You're talking to people, uh, you know, several cases a day, and, and the average person is not. So you bring an interesting perspective that we all could benefit from hearing, and then we can make our own, you know, we, we can assimilate that information do with it as we will. But I think the podcast and my intentions and desires to go beyond just keto can be a very advantageous thing. So I appreciate you encouraging me to do so. And, and Robert, again, I, I just, again, I just thank you for this opportunity and this invite to hopefully uh, inform your listeners and the masses. Um, and I share your same sentiment and philosophy We're we're constantly involving and we're learning each and every day. And if we're not considered quote unquote experts in a particular field, then we just seek those individuals out. Right. And that's just how we attain a greater uh, knowledge base ourselves, become more evolved, um, and just overall improve our own lifestyle and life experiences. So thank you very much again, Robert, um, for this opportunity. Um, I very much enjoyed it, and I hope that um, your listeners will take at least some of the information I provided to heart. That's all I can hope for. 100%. 100%. Well, again, thank you for the time, Rafael, and you have a great one, and keep in touch, man. Same to you, Robert. All the best, as always. Take care.